Well, let's get into uh, Genesis 1 this morning. In the, the last couple of weeks, basically what we've been doing has been laying a foundation, um, not only for the book of Genesis, but the foundation of, of what we truly believe. And, and the reason for this is the fact that Genesis begins every major doctrine that we believe in as Christians. This is why the attack on the book of Genesis is uh, very hard, very harsh, very quick. Um, and it's a, you know, you attack the book of Genesis, you attack the Word of God. You attack everything. We often look at the, the, as Genesis as the foundation of the Old Testament, which of course it is, but not really for the New Testament. But in fact, it's a foundation for it all. Um, we need to realize that there's 165 passages of Genesis that are directly quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. Some are quoted multiple times. So over 200 times in the New Testament, you have quotations just from the book of Genesis. The book is very important. It's vital for Christianity and for our society. In fact, Psalms 11.3 says, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the, an attack on the book of Genesis is attacking our foundations. Uh, it gives us so much. Like I said, it's everything we believe, everything we think. And we need to trust uh, in the Word of God, and that includes the book of Genesis. If we cannot trust that Genesis is true, in other words, Satan gets that foothold of saying, well, oh, you don't really have to believe in the, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Those are just little stories and all this kind of stuff, and we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. But if Satan can say, well, you don't really have to believe on that, then Satan can also start doing stuff well, you don't have to believe that Mary was a virgin when she, uh, when she was impregnated. You don't have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You, don't ha- you see what I'm saying? That's the foothold he gets, and he starts putting doubt into people's head. So Genesis 1.1, is so impo- or one, through chapters 1 through 11, is so important for what we believe. In the beginning, God. And the word God here is the word Elohim. And you've probably heard that if you've grown up around church, uh, Elohim. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, but what we don't learn, we, we go, oh, that's a really cool name of God. We can call him Elohim. If you want to pray, uh, you can use the word Elohim. That's really cool. But uh, the word is actually a plural word. The verbs and the, uh, and the pronoun around it uh, are always uh, used singular, but it's plural. In the first sentence of the Bible it always, already introduces a controversy. Elohim is a plural word because it represents God. It represents three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Martin Luther said, we have a clear testimony that Moses came to indicate the Trinity or the three persons of the divine nature or one divine nature. This is really cool. This gives us insight to the foundation that God is three separate persons in one God. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And the word created here is the word bara, and it means to create out of nothing. We can, you know, we can be creative. My son's pretty creative, but we always begin with something, right? You know, we can build something, but we go and get the materials that are already here. Only God can create something out of nothing. The closest that we can do to, you know, this is, is you know, I think is, is like having children. And this is why Satan has taken a, a very beautiful thing, you know, a husband and wife, you know, procreating and having children, and he makes it dirty, doesn't he? 
I mean, it's sad, the, you know, all the stuff that's going on and, and what we see on TV and all that. You know, we've, we've even made this into an act of worship of many gods over the centuries. You know, and, and I mean, Corinth and all these other places, they had, uh, you know, uh, temples that literally people would go and have sex in to worship the god. I mean, how, how sad is that? How, you know, I mean, it just, it's made it dirty and it's so sad. God made man in God's image. And when we procreate, we're producing another individual in God's likeness. That is the ultimate. Satan absolutely hates this. And the best way to, to counteract that is to pervert it. Take something good and holy and, uh, you know, a man and a woman in marriage and just pervert it. Uh, you know, it's sad. Uh, we see this in our marriages today. We see this on our TV today. And as our nation, you know, moves further away from God, we'll see it over and over as marriages struggle in this world. I mean, it's, I, I use my son as, as a gauge on, on what TV shows I should be watching. You know what I'm saying? If my seven-year-old can't sit next to me and watch it on TV. Now, there's some mature subjects that I watch that he, you know, that's, uh, that he shouldn't be seeing at this age and stuff. But if it's a show that's just, I mean, they go off and, you know, show all this other stuff, it's like, okay, I shouldn't be watching that then. It's a good gauge for us, uh, you know, to, to keep it clean. During the tribulation, the word says that people will not repent of idolatries, sorcery, and sexual perversions. I think we're getting closer and closer to those end days. Now, the flip side of this is, People can mess up. We all have sin. We all mess up, right? We can ask for forgiveness. Guess what? God can and will forgive us of our sinful actions. And that is great. But there's a thing called repentance. We have to repent them. We have to go to God and say, I'm sorry. And we have to turn from those ways, go the opposite direction. That's what repenting is all about. We all have sin, but we all need to repent. That's the action that, that, that gives us the forgiveness. God is ready to forgive us. We live under a cloud of forgiveness, and really we should call it a sunshine of forgiveness and not under a cloud of, of judgment and, and, and shame. We shouldn't be taking that shame with us because we can get forgiveness. Well, back to Genesis. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want to remind you, we, we talked to, uh, last week about there's only really two explanations for man, uh, that man has for creation. Everything came from nothing all by itself. In other words, naturalism, okay? Or everything came from a designer, a creator God. Those are your two, two choices here. It's interesting that scientists look down on the Bible. They see it as a book of faith and not a book of science. They will say that over and over. Oh, well, don't bring faith into this. We're talking about science. The word science means knowledge. It's interesting. God gives us knowledge. He just doesn't go into every little detail. The evolution, uh, evolutionary philosopher Herbert Spencer, and this is one of Darwin's earliest followers, in the late 1800s, he, found, uh, he laid out five ultimate scientific ideas. Time, force, action, space, and matter. And everything is within these categories make up science. Well, guess what? Genesis 1-1 accounts for all five of these. In the beginning, it's time. In the beginning, God. God is the force. Created. Created is the action. Heavens, the space, earth, 
the matter. It's all there. So the very first of the Bible, God lays it out. What science didn't figure out until the late 1800s, and science has really been playing catch-up to the Bible for centuries, because, you know, the Bible would say, oh, well, this happened, and people would be like, oh, no, historians, oh, no, 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 no. And then come to find out, they'd go do a big dig in that area and come to find out, oh, yeah, I guess the Bible was right. The people group was there. When they're sitting going, oh, there's no such thing as that people group there. And then come to find out, years later, there really was that people group there. Uh, but uh, th- there was a time when scientists laughed at the Bible because it said the stars were innumerable. In other words, you couldn't count them. Science said that this was ridiculous, and they numbered the stars. There were 6,415 stars in the sky. But since the invention of telescopes, that's kind of changed a little bit, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, my wife... Um, and we, we talked about, uh, you know, she's in engineering and stuff, and she worked for, for NASA for a while, uh, did some internships there, and she helped design the tools that fixed the Hubble telescope. And it's amazing. I mean, you've seen pictures. We've all seen pictures from, from the Hubble telescope. It's just amazing. Today, they believe they're about 10 to the 21st power of stars in the universe. And that's just an estimate because they can't really count them. The word says that, that God sits above the circle of the earth and that he hung the spear of the earth on nothing. It was a long time before scientists came to believe that the earth was round and not flat. Hmm. Long time before they started going, oh, wait a second, it's not attached to anything. And yet the word of God said it was. The Bible says things that are seen are made up of things that are invisible. It was many centuries before scientists could figure out that the universe was made and, and, and with things that they could not see with the naked eye. In other words, electrons and protons and neutrons. And we could go on and on and on, and I could bore you with all the scientific stuff that I've studied over the years and all this kind of stuff. But you get the idea. God didn't intend his text to be a modern-day science book. If the Bible was technical in the language, if the Bible was technical in, you know, in all the details, if God just told you every little nuance of how he created the heavens and the earth and how it all began, we would miss God in the middle of it. We'd get lost in the technicality. It also would have left out the ancient people and their understanding of their day. And really only a few people that are much smarter than I am really understand the complexities of human life at that level. Another thing, imagine how big the Bible would be if God tried to explain it all. I mean, when I explain stuff to my son, seven, um, do I leave out a few details? Absolutely. There are certain times I'm sitting there going, okay, I don't need to explain every little detail because he's not going to understand them anyway, right? Right? Now, do I use the same language with my seven-year-old that I use with my two-and-a-half-year-old Grayson? No, because the things I explained to, 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 to Brandon, Grayson's not going to understand because he's only two-and-a-half, so I use different language with him, and that's okay. So imagine God trying to explain it to us all. God wanted to keep it simple and concise so even children could read it and comprehend. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, have you ever tried to get your head around how big the heavens really are? I mean, the heavens contain billions of stars. The Milky Way itself only, conta- only contains 300 to 400 million stars. It's one galaxy. Our galaxy is like a, a giant spiral thing rotating with arms like a pinwheel. And our sun is on, on one arm in that pinwheel. Scientists estimate it would take 250 million years to make one rotation. I mean, that, I, I've lost all of you, I understand, because I'm lost myself. You see what I'm saying? To comprehend this is unbelievable. And there's all sorts of variety of, of sizes of galaxies and shapes and all that. And the average distance between galaxies is 20 million trillion miles. Anybody up for a road trip? You know? Our closest uh, galaxy is Andronomus, and I probably slaughtered that word, but it's about 12 million trillion miles away. I mean, think about that revelation for a minute. When the Lord comes for us, as amazing as our, you know, our world and our heavens are, and I mean, it, I mean, you get out there. And, it, I mean, when I go to Canada, or I go to Yosemite, go camping, get a, you know, out from the lights and all that, and you see the, the heavens and the stars. I mean, there's some places you can kind of see the whole Milky Way, the, you know, the, the, that line of stars up there. It's unbelievable. As amazing as that is, the heavens have fallen under the same curse as the earth has fallen over. So the Lord is literally going to do away way with it. But he's going to recreate it. Imagine how amazing it will look at that point when God recreates it. Hopefully the Lord allows us to explore it all up close. I have no idea. We have all eternity to do that. But in Revelation 20, it implies that we will be doing stuff for the Lord. So I don't think we're just going to be up there playing harps with little wings, okay? In fact, we don't become angels. So nowhere in the Bible does it say that we get wings and, and become angels. But we will be doing stuff for the Lord because God made us to be productive and to have relationship. And, the, you know, I mean, wow. It's, it's just going to be amazing. In Isaiah forty twelve, it says, my own, hand, uh, my own hand laid the foundations of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they will stand up together. So he stretches, you know, he stretches hands out like you're, you're throwing out a blanket or something. And, and, I mean, then he goes, you know, this goes, this goes to write what the, the scientists have actually said. Scientists actually say that our universe is expanding. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. And here it says right there, God spread his hands out. It's like expanding. It's Isaiah 40, 12, it says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a blanket or weighed the mountains on scales like the hills in the balance? The term breath, uh, uh, breath of the hand means between thumb and finger, like right here, okay? That's the heavens to God. <laughs> I, I, this blows me away. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this... To, to try to, but God cares about me. That's the amazing thing about here. People struggle with coming to Jesus or struggle over miracles. You know, Jesus walking on water, turning wine into uh, water, and, uh, or water into wine, and healing the sick. It troubles them. It's hard for them to accept. Interestingly, m- many of those believe in God. Many would say that God created the universe. 
And my response is this. If you can believe in the first verse of the Bible, then you can believe in everything that follows. The flood, Jonah, big fish, any miracle you can think of is minute, is small, is like a proton compared to the first verse in Genesis 1 where God created it all. As spectacular as the creation is, it's interesting, only 31 verses in the book of Genesis is dedicated to talking about it. The rest of the Bible, the rest of the Word of God, is devoted to what? A major theme that goes throughout the whole Bible, redemption. Having a relationship with God. As incredible as the universe is, it's really about redemption. The Bible tells us in Psalms 8.3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moons and the stars, which you have set in the place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? And the term care for, uh, care for them, it means, you, you know, roll up your sleeves. Let's start working. It means get down and dirty. He cared for us and he got to work. Once we're, re, you know, once we're redeemed, we will have new bodies. In other words, when we go to heaven with him, we'll have new bodies, and hopefully mine's skinny. I'm, I'm praying for that. Thank you again. You laughed. I appreciate that. Oh, man. But the re- you know what's interesting is the work of redemption was a lot harder than the work of creation. Think about that for a second. Redemption is so much more difficult Because God spoke creation into existence. God just spoke it into existence. Yet he chose to show his love to us by redeeming us. He came down here on this earth. It was a lot harder to go from a high place to a lowly place. Psalms 49, 7 and 8 says, No one can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for them. The ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough. The ransom or redemption for us is costly. You can't buy it. No one on earth could pay for it. The only way is the God of the universe dying for us. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 1, 18. He says, For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, the innocent dying for the guilty. Let's get back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here the word heavens mean outer space. We get that. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And the word darkness here, don't think of darkness as evil here, okay? It doesn't imply evil, it just means that the light was not there yet, uh, like the universe hadn't been energized in a sense. You know, the battery hadn't been placed in there in in our terms. Uh, The surface of the deep, the deep which we believe means the, the waters that were over the earth, and God did not form dry land until later. And the picture here is that we're getting is, is everything was there ready to be put together 
you know, for earth to be put together. And this is exactly what Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 5, or 3, 5. He says, but, de- uh, but they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. All the scientists uh, like things like thermodynamics, the law of physics. Uh, none of that was in play yet. God had not put any of those laws into play yet. The rest of verse 2 says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word for, for spirit here is the word uh, ruach. It's the word for, for breath or wind in the Hebrew. The context determines the, the, you know, the proper translation here. The context is the creative activity of the Holy Spirit. The creative activity of the Holy Spirit. Hovering. The Spirit is hovering, and the word hovering only appears in three times. Here and in the, uh, Jeremiah 29, uh, 23, 9 and, and 30, uh, Deuteronomy 32, 11. It says here, con- uh, concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my, bones are t- uh, all my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine, because the Lord and His holy words... Like, like an evil eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, the wings it's, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The three places where, where the Hebrew word is used is all about this kind of rapid movement. Okay? Like the, you know, the, 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 the wings spreading, it's that rapid movement, hovering and stuff. Um, and, and it's all about action and activity here, going back and forth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, it says in Genesis. We would use this word uh, like a vibrate to describe the hovering. Uh, uh, if the universe, you know, was to be energized, there must have been an energizer, right? And that's called the Holy Spirit. He energized the waters in a sense. You have two different forces that operate on matter. Gravitational forces and forces of electromagnetic spectrum. And all are associated with a wave motion in science. A wave of back and forth motion. Normally produced like a, a, you know, like a vibration of a wave generator. In other words, energy does not create itself. It is produced by the Holy Spirit creating it. In other words, God gave energy to the universe. Last week we talked about a closed system versus an open system. You know, a closed system is your gas tank when it's completely closed up. You drive it, you keep driving, you keep driving. If you never open that system and input more energy into it, you run out of gas, it's done, right? Versus an open system where you keep refilling and refilling and refilling. Well, our universe is a closed system. The energy is being used up. So, you know, this week we're seeing that God created the energy, the Spirit of God. And He gave a set amount of energy to the universe, and it's slowly depleting. It's, you know, it's getting older and weakening out. In other words, God created it, He filled it with energy, and now it's being used up, and the universe one day will end. Even scientists say that. The Word of God says that and has been saying that for centuries. And scientists are now coming to believe that now, that the universe is breaking down and will eventually end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we think, okay, we get it. But there's a lot, there's a lot there in the first two verses. Our God is a very big God, isn't he? 
I mean, just go to the ocean and get out there and don't see any land out there. You know what I'm saying? You're out in the middle of the ocean on a boat and you don't see, I mean, wow. Go to the, the granite cliffs in Yosemite and you start to realize how big and, you know, our creation really is when you stand at the bottom and you look up at that rock. It's unbelievable. Our God is a big God. Now, since God created it all, we're, we're accountable to that creator. God gave us life, so we owe him our life. We can either live a life of rebellion or one of joy. Simple, <laughs> yet not so simple. Because in rebellion, guess what? There is no joy. We think there's joy, but in the end, there's not. This is why we say repent. He wants us to come back to him so we can live in joy. Let's finish a few more verses before I lose all my time today. It says here, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the Hebrew word here, you know, let there be light, and light was. It says, you know, where it says, um, and there was light, it literally is light was. It's interesting, the first thing that God did was bring order to the universe. He spoke it into existence. This is amazing. This is just like us. Our lives are without form and void. It was chaos before we came to Christ. And when, when we go away from Jesus, our life gets more chaotic. When we start living a sinful life, life kind of tears down and gets more chaotic. And then when we come back to Jesus, Jesus starts slowly fixing it. Now, we wish he would fix it like that, don't we? I mean, we wish God would just take our mistakes and wipe. It never happened. Sometimes we have to work through all that kind of stuff. But our life starts getting more order to it. And this, you know, this is when we have read a, a passage in over and over and over again, and all of a sudden, you know, we start to get it. We start to get the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For what we preach is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory and displayed in the face of Christ. This all began in the book of Genesis. Verse 4, back to Genesis. Oh, there we go. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. For centuries, people, you know, read this, and they believed that God was saying, you know, obviously there's night and day, right? Obviously. But I believe there's so much more to it. So much more involved than what we realize. Because it wasn't until the invention of the, of the spectroscope that we really understood that light could be divided. At both ends of the spectrum, light is divided from the darkness. One light becomes darkness on the infrared, and the other becomes the darkness on the ultraviolet. In between, it has many different layers and, and vibrations with different frequencies divided into light, sound, and color. And it's all the same thing. It's, it's pretty amazing. You slow the, val, uh, the, the vibrations down. You lower the frequency, and you pick them up as audible sound. You speed them up, and you increase the vibrations, and it ends up being color. I know, science class, don't you? You know, going back to ninth grade science class, right? The light we see is a combination of all colors in the visible spectrum. Light is the single most important thing for us. The energy produces color, heat, everything that we depend on for the transfer of energy. If we had no light, we would have no wind, we would have no you know, waves, 
the water cycle would all stop. I mean, it would drastically change our world, wouldn't it? The earth would turn cold and, and life would cease practically. This is why light is the starting point of all creation. God knew what he, what he was doing. And he did all these things in 24-hour periods. Why do I believe that? Because God said so. That's why I believe it. I was talking to somebody last week that, that's a Christian and, and, uh, and they... They go, well, you know, I believe in evolution, but I believe that God did it all. And I'm like, well, with evolution, you have destruction, right? I mean, if you think of evolution, you think of uh, animals dying, and if you think all that became, came before Adam, well, then what introduced sin into this world? Because the Word of God says Adam introduced sin into this world, right? You see my point? We're getting it backwards. God clearly said what he did, and many try to soften it. We try to realign it. You know, how do we define the age of the earth? Well, we can add up all the genealogies. Man has labored for about 6,000 years. And people try to use 2 Peter 3, 8 that says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But, you know, let them know that Peter was talking about, uh, what he was talking about had nothing to do with creation, He was talking about a different matter. He wasn't talking about creation. Context matters. And this is where we go off on all these different philosophies and all these different, uh, you know, debates and stuff. When we take stuff out of context, have you ever been taken out of context? I mean, you can start some good rumors, right? Take somebody out of context. A friend of mine uh, is a substitute teacher in, I think, Oklahoma or Texas, something something like that. And and, uh, she uh, she was in class and and a student said, uh, uh, you know, said her name, and, and, and uh, I don't know what her married name is, so I would tell you, but I don't know. So I, you know, I don't want, it's not a made-up story, it's a true story. That's why I was trying to think of her name, okay? Because, uh, you know, when Jesus names somebody in the Bible, he's not using it as a, as a, you know, false story. He's talking about truth, and that's why we believe in Jonah and stuff, because God used his name. So that's why I was trying to think of her name. But her first name is Sarah, so I'll just use that. So Miss Sarah, um, you know, um, so-and-so, uh, teacher so-and-so is out of the class, is it because she's pregnant? And she goes, well, I'm not subbing for her, so I don't know if teacher so-and-so is pregnant. And by that time, another teacher is walking up and goes, teacher so-and-so is pregnant? And it started a whole rumor thing going around the school, and she's going, a kid to that, you know, yeah. Oh, man, context matters, doesn't it? Peter was pointing out that God was outside of the physical. Time was a creation of God. We live in four dimensions of, of, you know, of God's creation. Height, depth, width, and time. God is outside of that creation. God is not subject to those dimensions. He says, I am that I am. Not I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. He says, I am that I am. God is also in present time. He is not limited by time. Genesis was written historically in time for us to understand. We're not outside of time. Some people think they are, but I'm telling you we're not. The earth is somewhere around 6,000 years old, give or take a few years. 165 years ago, a Dutch scientist measured 
the electromagnetic field, electromagnetic field around the earth. And they discovered that the earth is decaying at a constant rate. So they used information to see how strong this field would have been 25,000 years ago. Okay, this is not even millions and millions and billions and all that kind of, just 25,000 years ago. And it would have made it impossible for life. Because it was so such a strong, um, uh, the, it was so strong that the surface of the Earth would have been in a molten state 25 years ago. When he shared this information, they had an answer for him. They said that the magnetic field powers itself and recharges itself to a certain level. So once again, they try to come up with an unscientific, improvable way to explain evolution and ignore the science that contradicts it. How does science prove the, the age of the earth? Radioactive dating. But when you start to study radioactive dating, it's very unreliable. We talked about the, the, the guy who, uh, uh, well, I don't want to go into that because I don't remember all the details of the story, but, but it's very inaccurate. Actually, I found it here in my notes. I forgot I put it in my notes. A scientist went out, and uh, it was a godly scientist, godly man. And he was around, and a, a violent electrical storm was happening, and he came across this tree that lightning had struck, and his roots had been petrified. And I think I mentioned this several weeks ago. You know what I'm talking about, the, the roots? Because the energy from the lightning, the roots in the ground, it literally petrified the roots. So he thought he'd have a little fun. He dug up the root... And he sent it to a lab to be analyzed through radioactive dating. And it came back as being millions of years old. Yet the tree was just living a couple of months ago. You see what I'm saying? It could be inaccurate depending on the forces of this earth. You will have people say, well, how did God create light on the first day? But there was no sun or stars till the fourth day. Well, the answer is God filled the universe instantly with light on the first day. And on the fourth day, he placed things where he wanted them to be. Scientists say that stars prove the universe is old. These are so far away, and it took billions of light years for this light to, to reach us so we could actually see them. You will think that if, if you didn't believe in the miraculous God, he filled the universe instantly with light. And if you didn't believe that, you would think that, oh, everything's billions of years old. But you read Revelations 20 and 21 and 22, and you see we're going to have a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, a new sun, and a new moon, and, and stars. God filled the universe with light. Light is unique. And, si you know, sometimes it, it acts like waves, and sometimes it acts like particles, and scientists can't figure out, or can't figure out why all the attributes of light and that it comes from God. God is light, the Bible says. Jesus was glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. He began to, you know, to what, it says? It says he radiated like the sun. When Moses came off the mountain for meeting with God, what happened? He put a veil over him because the light just enveloped him. God is light. Day one, he made the light. He made it first. He is God, and God th does things His way. We don't understand. We don't. 
I didn't understand why my parents did certain things. Now that I'm a parent, I kind of understand a few more things. My first senior pastor, I went, why? I wouldn't do it like that. And now I go, I'm doing exactly like that. You know what I'm saying? There are certain things you don't understand until you get to that, to that level. Why would God create creatures that live in the deepest part of the ocean? I mean, we didn't even really believe these creatures existed until we made a submarines that could take the pressure because we thought nothing was down there. And they go down there and all of a sudden find out it's teeming with light or, or with life. God made everything mature from the very beginning. Verse 5 says, God called the light day and the, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let, the, let there be a vault between the waters that separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And so it was. He called the vault sky. And then was evening and there was morning the second day. The word vault here means is the word expanse. The word heavens, but not like the godly heaven. The, the word heaven here is used, uh, or the word heaven is used in three different ways uh, for three different things uh, in the Bible. The first heaven would be our atmosphere, okay? The second heaven would be the stars and the planets. And the third heaven, which 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul was, it says Paul was caught up in the heaven, in other words, where God was. So think of it like this. Let's say there's three dimensions, height, width, and depth. Imagine that you were only two dimensions and you tried to imagine three dimensions. It's kind of difficult, right? It's, kind of, it's hard for us to imagine that, you know, us being two-dimensional, right? Very difficult for that. Confusing. But God, you know, adding one dimension, he added so much value to life as we know it. If we were all two-dimensional world, I mean, how would you give somebody a hug? You know what I'm saying? Hey. You know, I mean, I don't... Now, think about God. How many dimensions does God have? We don't know. Hard for us to imagine living any other way. Imagine getting to another part of the universe with a thought. I don't know instantly there we can't grasp that concept so here in genesis talking about the first heaven or atmosphere god is saying that he divided the waters from the oceans and the water that was above like a water blanket over the earth you know the atmosphere here like a, you know uh, like encasing the earth in a in a water bubble it, you know it would be like a greenhouse maintaining a constant temperature I would say it's probably 72 degrees so we could all go snorkeling. I'm just saying, you know, constant temperature. You know, how do, how do we know um, the earth had plants everywhere? Well, scientists have found animals and plants everywhere. That's how we know, okay? There was a skeleton of a, of a plant-eating dinosaur dug up in the deserts of Egypt just this past year. Woolly mammoth with tropical veg vegetation in his digestive tracts. Something happened that flash froze these creatures. So the ground fog kept everything at even temperature. And it was like that until Genesis 6. And we'll get there one day. But the earth was mostly, uh, you, know, you know, mostly flat at this point. When I'm saying flat, I'm talking about like mountains, no mountain, you know, it was all flat. The earth, 
the, the land was all flat at this point. The flood of Genesis changed the topography. So, so the creation, you know, the earth was completely covered in water at one point, and it wasn't divided into continents. And then in Genesis, uh, this happens in Genesis 25, the idea that it was one land mass has gained acceptance, and then all of a sudden when the flood happens, you have all the breakup of the land masses and stuff, except that scientists believe that it broke apart millions of years ago instead of like the Bible says. Verse 9, it says, And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered at one place. Let dry ground appear, and so it was. God called the dry, dry ground land, and they gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to its, their various kinds, and so it was. The land produced vegetation, plants, and bearing seeds according to its kind, and trues, uh, trees bearing fruit with the seed in its, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. According to its various kinds, and we're going to hit that uh, a lot next week when we start talking about animals and evolution and so forth. But in other words... Orange trees and seeds, unless they've been grafted, okay, you, you know, you can take an orange tree and you can graft in a lemon and stuff like that. It's really weird. You got an orange and lemon on the same tree, okay? There's a way to do that, but it didn't begin like that. Orange seeds don't produce a tomato. Have you ever seen a tomato come out, you know, put in an orange seed and you're thinking, oh, good, I'm going to have a, what? what's that? Is that a tomato? It doesn't work like that. Everything in nature brings forth its own kind. Now, God does allow for vegetations within a kind for ad adaptation. We've seen that. But it changes within its own kind, not from one kind to another kind. You have different breed of dogs, but you don't, you know, but they're, they're all dogs. You don't have a chimp being born from a dog. You know, growing up, I had dogs and cats. I didn't go, wow, this dog produced a cat. You know, mom, come look at that. No, that never happened. You don't have that within any animals. You don't have birds becoming lizards or snakes becoming wells. It's a built-in genetic code that God gave each kind. And I think we've probably covered enough, and I kind of went all over the place today, but I, you know, I, I think it's important for us to get a foundation to start understanding what God has done here. God is an amazing creator and thought so much of us and so much of creation that he, I mean, he, he created all these amazing things and we're still finding new things. We're still finding new kinds of, of animals that the scientists are going, we've never seen this before. And God created it all. What amazing God that we have, right? And that God came down here and died for you and died for me because that's how important you are. Don't ever forget that. Because we can, you know, sometimes we feel very insignificant, don't we? Oh man, we get treated like junk by somebody or somebody ignores us and we feel so insignificant. And we need to remember the God of the universe wants a relationship with us and he died for you and died for me. That is an amazing God. Well, we've gone over time today. So